to our evangelist and let him come and minister. I know how much I've enjoyed the preaching this week. I believe you have enjoyed the preaching every night this week as well. And uh, every service has been special. Last night was tremendous. Um, the night before last, God changed his message, and he didn't preach the message he had intended to preach, so I, I told him I had to have those notes. So, <laughs> so amen. So he gave, he, he, he gave them to me. Praise the Lord. I appreciate that. Amen. So, <laughs> so I want you to welcome to this platform tonight Evangelist John Richardson as he comes to minister the Word of God to us tonight. Bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, a shout of triumph. Clap your hands, some of you people. Clap your hands, most of the people. No, clap your hands, all ye people. Let us shout unto God with a voice of triumph. What that young lady sang reminded us. We've all got something to shout about right now. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise and a shout of triumph? We, uh, we learned last night, although I was the one that had the privilege of holding the mic and standing behind the sacred pulpit, we learned last night that the devil fears to shout he fears the shofar, the trumpet of the Old Testament. He fears it because he cannot discern between the sound of your shout and the voice of God. So he don't know if God is talking or you're talking. If you had no other reason to shout, that would be a reason to shout because he knows every time God speaks in this world, it means defeat for him. So clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And you, 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 you don't understand. Yeah, you do. You do and you don't. I mean... I've been preaching now for 39 years in 39 states, uh, 18, 19 countries. I don't know exactly how many because a lot of those countries in Africa just overlap and stuff. But I think I know something. I preach on it many times. Then I'll be reading through the Bible, and all of a sudden I realize I knew in part, but I only knew some. And God revealed more and more and more. So we're constantly learning. So I know you know this. Maybe I'm saying is we're not always conscious of it. I have learned through experience that what we praise God for is often what will manifest when he shows up. You see, praise is the welcome mat to God. Praise is the invitation to God. And he so graciously says, if you'll praise me, I will not visit your praise. I will inhabit your praise. And when he shows up, he just doesn't stand there watching you struggle through life. He begins to act on your behalf and in you and through you and by you. So often I have learned that what I'm praising him for is often what God does in my life when he manifests. If I'm praising for my healing, 
often he heals my body. If I'm praising for victory, often I experience victory. If I'm praising for love, joy, and peace, I experience love, joy, and peace. When I praise him for my salvation, I remember how wonderful it is to be saved and how awful it was not to be saved. How many are glad tonight that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and he's turned your life upside right? So, Worship is so magnificent, but I believe the Bible is correct. I know it's correct to give honor where honor is due. This young lady has performed at the highest level for an audience of three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And I'm the least of God's servants, but I come to tell you from the Master that he was well pleased with your song and he has received it as a gift unto him and he gives gifts back unto you. And it has been once again our honor and our privilege to be with you in revival. The first time, most of you didn't know me. I didn't know you. I met Brother and Sister Hensley a few times in revival when he visited Fenton with Brother Rhodes. But now you knew me and you, I came back and you still came back. And, 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 and now the relationship and the re friendship has become a friendship, a kinsmanship that is only built over time. And I don't have the adequate words to tell you how humbled and how honored Pam and I have been to be your servant. It has always been and it always will be and honored to stand behind God's sacred pulpit and be a preacher. You know what the word preacher means? God's spokesman. The words I speak are not my own. They're his. And to the best of my ability, I want to tell you exactly what God has to say to you for this night. But I wanted to share first how grateful that we are to be privileged to be your servant this week. Brother Sinsa Hensley, I have been deeply moved and I've been humbled by your kindness, your graciousness, putting us in a really nice motel. We don't get that every week and when we do get it, we really do enjoy it. We don't take it for granted because we know it costs money to do those things. And we want to thank all of you for your love and your kindness and your receptiveness to the word and your giving, your sacrifice. And I can't repay you. I just don't have the amount it would take to repay you for your service this week. But I have a very powerful message from God. And that young lady that sang that last couple songs, I got a snitch on her. I'm going to rat her out. Uh, you know what? How many of you were really, I, I was tremendously moved by those last two songs. How many of you were tremendously moved by the last two songs? You know why that young lady was able to sing those last two songs? Because she was applying for a job, and they said, you got the job. And she, yeah, and she was happy to have the job. And then I said, but you got to work on Sundays. And she said, and oh, by the way, I've got to be off this Wednesday. 
And I said, no, 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 you, if you're off this Wednesday, you're going to have to work Sundays. If we let you off this Wednesday, you're going to have to work Sundays. And that young lady said, you can, well, I'm, I don't know the exact words, but you can keep this job because I'm going to church on Sunday and I'm going to be in revival on Wednesday. And not only did she keep her job, but if I'm an employer, I'm working, looking for people of integrity. I'm looking for people that got some convictions. I'm looking for people that, that, that are honest. I'm looking for people that are dedicated. And when I hear somebody stand up and say, I'm dedicated by, by, about my faith, that I'm not missing Sunday for money. I'm not missing Wednesday for money. That employer knows I'm going to have an employee that's honest, that's dedicated, that's going to do a great job, that has integrity, that's got some courage. So I commend you highly for that. And I'm going to read a scripture and go into a message for you. And this was not in the original message, but as Brother Hensley was talking to you about giving, understand that the offering's already been taken, so we're not going to receive another offering. But my wife can tell you, I, I, I'm not the best giver ever there was. I, 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 the best giver hung on the cross. But my wife can tell you sometimes... I can be a crazy giver, and sometimes she's got to hide the grandkids and stuff, but I'll put them in the offering plate. And what I'm trying to say is I, I'm the least of God's servants, and I'm sure there are people out here that have given far more sacrificially than I have. But I have tried all my Christian walk. I didn't try, I've always been a tither, and I've always tried when God spoke to me to give whatever he laid in my heart, and usually I kick it up a little bit on my own, just because I like to do that. And I can tell you God has not once failed to bless me in return beyond my wildest imaginations, although it was not my intention in giving. But pastor so stirred me when he was talking about the rewards that we get to share with one another. Not only are you going to share in where I go when I go back to Africa, when I go to Vietnam, you're going to go with me because you sent me. But now I've sowed into you this week ministry. So everything this church does from this point on, I'm going to be a little bit of that, and I'm going to share in y'all's reward. That's how the kingdom principles work, and those are good things. But he talked about rewards, and some people are going to be very disappointed when they see God. Oh, they're going to be glad they made the rapture, but they're going to be disappointed at one moment. I can guarantee you it's going to freak them out because they thought when they got saved that everybody got the same rewards. And that's not how it works. You, you get to go to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. You are a child of God. You are a joint heir, which has enormous amount of blessings with it. But rewards are not the same for everybody God also, yes, rewards are not the same for everybody. Those that are dedicated to the kingdom work are going to be rewarded beyond those who are not, and I can prove it from the words of Jesus himself. It ain't going to be the same for everybody. Now, if you're the guy dying on the cross next to Jesus, and that's the first opportunity you had to get saved, 
He's going to say, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He was not able to build up a rewards. So I'm sure God makes account for that. But were you faithful in what God gave you to do? In Revelation 22, verse 12, this is the second to the last thing Jesus says in the entire Bible. This is the end of the book. We've went from Genesis to Revelations. We get past this chapter, you're in the book of maps. <laughs> You'll get it when you get home. So the second to the last thing Jesus says personally to the human race, I would think is pretty important. You're a man of authority. You're a man of leadership. When you have a board meeting, that last statement you make at the end of that board meeting hammers the nail in. The first and the last thing. And Jesus said, how many believe the Lord's coming soon? How many are glad he's coming soon? And he said, behold, I come quickly. I'm coming sooner than you think I'm coming. I'm going to be, I could come before the sun comes up in the morning. Somebody say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. This is even more so to us today than it was 2,000 years ago when John the Revelator wrote it on the Isle of Pappas because most everybody in this room will not die a natural death. You will not see natural death. You'll be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye at the time of the rapture. This is pertinent to us more so than any generation prior to us. He says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give everybody the same. Everybody that gets saved gets the same amount. Because, but the Bible says, and to give every man or woman, there's neither male nor female with God. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. To give to every man according to what? His work shall be. In other words, we can add to the rewards that we gained automatically through salvation by working hard for the kingdom of God and we get blessed here on earth for doing that. It's a joy to serve God and his people and to help people get saved. But also we know that when Jesus returns, we're gonna get special rewards for everything we did for the kingdom of God and he's gonna bring, he's not gonna wait till you get to heaven. He wants you to have this so bad, he's gonna bring it with you and when you meet him in the air, he's gonna start giving those rewards right then and there. Now, I've got some exciting news. God has spoke to my heart, as he did to your pastor, that some of you, if not all of you, are going to receive a miracle tonight. And when I say miracles, I mean things that only God can do. Some of you are going to leave this place miraculously touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. God still saves. He still delivers. He still heals and some of you lately i don't know but no i do know i do know because god's never made a fool out of me i've never obeyed god and god made a fool out of me i, I i've never had god tell me that something was such and it not be so many of you have gone through some difficult things lately some of them may be even life and death situations. 
Some of these things are not just minor things, but they're major, major. It's like a lady once told me. I was talking about problems, and she overheard the conversation, and she taught me a tremendous lesson. She walked up to me. This is not vulgar, but she did, and it changed this young preacher's life at the time. She overheard me talking about problems that were pretty small. And she walked up to me and she said, Preacher, do you want to know the difference between a problem and an inconvenience? And I said, I certainly would. And she said, an inconvenience is when you find a lump in your oatmeal. A problem is when you find a lump in your breast. And she just had cancer removed from her breast. And I understood that not all problems are the same. But some of y'all have been through some very difficult things of late. And you really are facing a lot of things in your future that require supernatural intervention from God. How many would like to experience supernatural intervention for God? I just, something happened to me on this last mission trip, Pastor. It was the most successful mission trip I'd ever been on. I mean, we worked in Uganda, we were in Zambia, we went to Rwanda, we were in Kenya. It was phenomenally successful. But at the same time, it seemed like the harder I worked, the, the more I tried, the more effort I, I planned, I, I had a strategy. I, I didn't just show up. I, I planned it and we strategized it. I did everything. I put all my ducks in order. And every, it seemed like, Pastor, the more I tried and the harder I worked and the more effort I put into it, it just seemed like the more things would just go wrong. And although these things went wrong, God still gave me, let me experience the greatest mission trip I'd ever been on. And so I, I, I was curious about what was going on in my life. And to be honest with you, Pastor, while all this, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm like all of you, I'm the least of God's servants. But I'm going to serve the most high God. I'm working 20-hour days. You know, sister, I'm mission trips. If you get four hours sleep a night, that's a good night. You don't always even know where you're going to sleep. But God gave me food. You're working nonstop. And I begin to feel like, John, are you snake bit? Now, y'all might not know what I'm talking about. But in Chicago, there's a term. I don't know if y'all use it down here in Missouri. But there's a term that when a person's just doing everything they can to fix things and do things the best they can, and it seems like the only kind of luck they have is bad luck, and everything is always going wrong for them, we have a term for that in Chicago. You better stay away from so-and-so. They're, they're snake bit. It, it means that every time you touch something, you get bit by a snake. Now, saints of God, I don't want to be snake bit, but I can tell you this. I know what to do when I do get snake bit. God showed me what to do while I was in Africa when I get snake bit. And I'm about to share that with you. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where you just felt snake bit? 
I mean, every time you try to do something good, you come out with a viper hanging off your hand and everything, you, t- you know. And so don't feel bad because one of the greatest men of God in the Bible went through the exact same thing. And you may say to yourself, well, Brother John, if I'm in God's will, doing what God wants, going where he wants me to go, exactly as he wants me to do it, you know, why in the world could I be snake bit in that kind of situation when I'm doing everything in myself to be completely surrendered to God? Well, let's share and see what the Word of God says about this. In Acts chapter 28, this is one of the most interesting places in the Bible. And for your own reference points, go home tonight and read Acts 27, especially the last 10 voices or so and tie all this together. But the Apostle Paul has had just an horrendous, the last two weeks of his life has just been one huge train wreck. First of all, he's been in a hurricane for 14 days. Now, he's not in modern Navy vessels we have today that are built out of steel and can take any kind of storm. He's in a wooden boat in a 14-day hurricane. So his life was constantly in peril. No doubt water was leaking in. They could hear the wood creaking and about to come apart. In fact, the ship does come apart. But I, thought, I found out something recently that I never thought about besides the physical danger of being in a 14-day hurricane. I had the bright idea of taking my wife deep sea fishing a couple about a month ago. And we went deep sea fishing. And my poor, beloved, beautiful wife turned as green as St. Patty's Day. And she spent the whole morning and afternoon with her head on the table or in the bathroom, and I'll leave it there, sicker than a dog. So I would imagine if I'm in a hurricane for two weeks, I'm not only going to be in physical danger because she got sick from four to five foot chops. Could you imagine what it would be like to be in a ship during a hurricane? You'd be up chucking your Wheaties continuously from being seasick. And seasick, I've been told, is one of the worst sickness you can have. So he's in a hurricane for 14 days. Then the Roman soldiers come, and they, and, and, but before they come, Paul goes to the officer in charge and says, don't worry, nobody's going to die, but if everybody's got to stay with the ship. And so the, the officer in charge believed Paul that he had been with the Lord as he said, because whenever Paul would say something, it would happen. And then the, the soldiers want to come and kill all the prisoners. So this soldier, see, you don't have to have favor with everybody. You just need to have favor with the person in charge. When I go to a country or to an area, I pray for God to give me the favor with the person that can open the doors in that area. Someone shout hallelujah. So bear with me, joiky joiky. So the soldier stands up and says, nope, nope, you're not going to kill him. The reason why they wanted to kill him was according to Roman law, if a prisoner escaped under your watch, you would be immediately executed, no court-martial, no trial, no jury. If they escaped under your watch, you die. 
But this man was willing to risk his life on the integrity of Paul and the influence that Paul had over the other prisoners. So Paul has been in a storm for two weeks, a hurricane. He has just escaped death by the skin of his teeth. And now the ship falls apart. The whole ship. There ain't no lifeboats. There ain't no life preservers. They said, jump out, fellas. If you can find a piece of wood, grab it and float in, swim in. You're on your own from here. And just as God said through Paul, there was not one person who died from that tragic event. I'm just trying to lay a foundation here. The last two weeks of Paul's life have been pretty horrific, and I'm sure even Paul would say, I would not want to experience those things over again. Now let's begin the story in Acts 28, because it immediately follows those three events. Acts 28 verse 1. And when they escaped, even the Bible said that their survival was an escape from death, that they escaped obvious death. And when they had escaped, then they knew that the island was called Malta. The name of that island today is Malta. It's 50 miles south of Sicily. That's very close to my heart because my mother, her parents were born in Palermo, Italy, so she Paul shipwrecked here about 50 miles south of where my grandparents were born. So it, it's kind of special to me. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's neat how God brings things around. So he shipwrecks 50 miles south of, of Sicily on the island of Malta. It's important we understand the location because this was not far away from Rome. This is fairly close. But yet it was not directly under Roman law, although it was a Roman territory like Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands as the United States today. Notice verse number two. And the barbarous people there showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received every one. Now, although these people are called barbarous people, my wife helped me look it up and we discovered that they were not barbarians in the way that you and I would think of a barbarian. These were not crazy people running around, you know, acting like barbarians. What it simply meant was that these people were so isolated on this island, they did not understand or were not associated with Greek culture. They did not understand Greek culture, so they were called barbarians because they didn't understand the culture of the day. And the, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. This tells me, Pastor, that these are good people. They've got a good heart. Anybody would help out people they don't even know are pretty good people. And they're not just helping out a couple people. There are 276 men on this boat. This is a big boat for Bible days. So this was a big job. For they kindled a fire. It wasn't some little bitty fire. They had to make several fires for 276 people to warm themselves by. And this is a necessity, saints of God. They're cold. They're wet. And if they don't get warm, they're going to get sick. They could get hypothermia. They could die. This is essential for survival. 
That's true in the natural. But you know what, Brother Hensley? I thought today in the spiritual. They needed the fire then to save their lives. And I pray, oh God, let there be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost and fire upon America. We need the fire to fall again for the well-being of our nation because our nation has grown cold and our nation is wet and it's cold and it's dying and we need the fire of the Holy Ghost to be kindled once again. And they rekindled the fire and received every one because of the present rain. It was still raining. And because of the cold. So we know it was a very cold day. Bible makes it clear. Notice voice number three now. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, Paul was the kind of man, just had the three, had to be the worst two weeks of his entire life. These people are gladly building a fire because they're kind and gracious people. But Paul says, I, I can't let them do all the work. So I'll go get some sticks myself. So I'm, I'm not going to let them do all. I'm going to pitch in. So he grabs a bundle of sticks. And when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks, he laid them on the fire. And there came out a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Now, I've read some embryonic theologians who said, well, yeah, the snake bit him, but it didn't get its fangs in him. Didn't have, go home, don't do it now, because you can't listen if you Google right now. But look up the European viper from that area, that region. It's got great, big old fangs. No, they're bigger than rattlesnake fangs. And when them, when them rascals hooked in and fastened onto you, it wasn't some superficial wound where you didn't get some poisons. When it fastened onto you, it meant you had two great big old fangs about that long dug into your hand. And that was what happened to Paul there. And this is one of the most deadly venomous mistakes that usually people fall out rather quickly and are dead very quickly. Look it up later after church. And he laid the fire, them on the fire, and there came out a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Now, guys, I want to explain something here. This is a huge moment in the word of God and the plan of God. You're important to God. In God's eyes, every human being is valuable. Every human being is important. In my eyes, every person's valuable. Every person's important. But this moment, oh, what a moment in history. You see, if Paul dies here, Rome does not receive the gospel. If Paul dies here, this island doesn't get saved. And because of what happens on this island, they go to another island, and it gets saved also. And by the time they get to Rome, everybody's ready to have a parade because they've heard of the exploits that God had done through Paul and they couldn't wait for him to get there and hear what he had to say because the word preceded him. And when them sailors got off the boat and told the story, I'll guarantee you everybody wanted to meet Paul. And when Paul gathered, so he's got, if he dies here, Rome does not receive the gospel. 
He goes to Rome and is imprisoned in his own hired house for two years, in which time he writes most of the New Testament. So most of the New Testament that we cherish and read today that gives us guidance, healing, healing life, faith, would never have been written if Paul dies here. The Bible tells us that within 10 years, all of Asia Minor heard the gospel. That does not happen if Paul dies here. And the Bible tells us that Paul was so effective in, in Rome that there was believers even in the household of Caesar. And that does not mean servants. It means blood family members. And probably one of them was Caesar's own wife. If Paul dies here and not meant very long in the future, the entire Roman Empire is declared Christian by Caesar. So this is a moment of history that changed history or would have changed history. We wouldn't be saved because the Gentiles would not hear the gospel. Do you see all the... Now, I know it's wakey-jakey, but bear with me. So this is a big moment. But what I want to share with you that's important right here is the storm, the shipwreck, the death threat, the death threats, it was all the same devil trying to stop Paul from getting to a divine appointment that God had planned before the foundation of the world. And, and the snake is just another tactic. In other words, when it failed, if the storm can't stop you, Paul, then I'll threaten your life. And then if that can't stop you, I'll change the tactic and you have a shipwreck. And if that can't stop you, I'll change the tactic and you'll have a viper hooked in your hand. And none of it stopped it. See, the thing we need to learn from this, we can be on a divine assignment for God doing exactly what God has planned for us that can impact the entire world and be a key player in it. And it doesn't mean the devil won't try to hinder you, stop you, fight you, destroy you, sink your ship, take your life. But I'll tell you, just as it was with Paul, it will be with you. He will fail every single time. Is that good stuff? Give me one of them things. That's good stuff. Now, let's look at the next voice. So Paul has got this, oh, and, and I was reading this embryotic theologian, and the reason why I call men embryotic is that they're not fully developed. And he's, well, I invented, a, I invented another word. I invented another word, and if someone else invents it, you tell them, Brother John invented this one. Acluistic. Have you ever met anybody who didn't have a clue? And in my invented word for that person is they're acluistic. They don't. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to invent yourself. <laughs> I, never mind. But this, this embryonic theologian said, well, it, it wasn't. A poisonous snake. Well, then he never read the Greek. I'm telling you. Because the Greek said, 
venomous, deadly, dangerous, a deadly beast. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> now, look at this. This is so cool. What we would think at that moment, you know, I know Paul had to be human. Just for a second. It, okay, let's say John was Paul. Oh, come on, God. I've just been in a storm, man, for two weeks. I've just been in a shipwreck. They tried to whack me on that boat, God. I floated into shore. I'm just trying to help out. Now I got a snake hanging from my hand. Why? Surely he had to think for a moment, why? If I could do more for you, I don't know what it is. And look at what happened. And when the barbarous people saw the venomous beast hang on his hand. Now, I grew up in Chicago, and we don't have a lot of vipers. We got a lot of snakes there, but not vipers. And <laughs> I used to be involved in that lifestyle. I'm ashamed of it, but it's just... I'm ashamed of it, but that's so. Trying to explain something. But the neighborhood people know the places you avoid. They know the bad rats in the alley when they see them. Rat rats, you know. And rats the cats don't mess with. I'm, I'm talking sewer rats, big rats. Uh, and so the islanders, when they saw the snake, don't you know the people that lived on that island? They knew the harmless snakes from the deadly ones. Don't you think if anybody would have been an expert on that subject, it would have been them who lived with it? Is this good stuff? Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I'm going to show you, God, if you've been going through a snake-bitten season, God is about to do something magnificent in your future. God is about to do something magnificent in your immediate future. God, Pam, is about to do something that's going to change lives all over the world if you've been going through a snake-bitten season. And I'm going to prove it through the Word of God. And when the barbarous people, when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said amongst themselves, Mm. No doubt this man is a murderer. How many of you have ever been attacked spiritually for doing what's right? Just minding your own business. But you can't stand up for right and do what's right and not be attacked. It's just not going to happen. And the point of it is, I've, I've never been through anything like Paul was in here. But if God is using you, Warfare will break out in your life to get your eye off the goal, off the focus. You know what I do? God told me, he said, I don't want you spending your time no more trying to put out fires. He says, you keep busy doing what I called you to do, and I'll put the fires out. I'll take care of the rest. You just do what I called you to. The enemy, when, when, when someone that God, God is using, when they're attacked, if we're not careful, we'll join right in. And so, huh, I wonder what they did. I wonder, you know, it rains on the just and the unjust. I don't understand why good things happen to bad people. And I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. 
but I know that someday we're going to see God face to face and live for him in heaven forever and it ain't going to matter when I get to heaven. I won't care then. And he saw the venomous beast hang from his hand. You guys are being so kind. You have a, God is about to do something tremendous. Raise your hand through your life. If you've been snake bit, raise your hand. God, if you've been attacked, raise your hand. If you've been attacked, raise your hand. God's about to do something tremendous in your life and through this church. And they said amongst themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. Mm-hmm. He, he thought he got away with it. Whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth him not to live. This must be some notorious evil sinner for this to happen to him. But notice how opinion will change quickly. When God shows you favor, it will turn your enemies into your friends. When a man's ways please the Lord, he will even have peace with his enemies. Notice verse 5. Voice 5, please. Thank you. I know it's, and he, you got to see this. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Paul, so I, God had me look at the word shook off the beast. And if it had been John with a viper hanging from his hand, been, <laughs> more than likely, this man had a confidence in God that God wants to give all of us through his word tonight through his experience, so we don't have to get through it. We can receive it, and God can confirm his word with signs following by giving us the kind of confidence Paul had. Yeah, I was in a shipwreck. Yeah, I've been in a two-week hurricane. Yeah, they threatened my life. Yeah, I had to swim in to shore or float in to shore on a piece of wood. word up, shook off. It's very visual. It's like a fly. Fixing to go. You see, wherever we go, 
We need to do what Paul did. We need to build a fire. We need to build a fire. Every place God sends us, we need to build a fire. And then we need to add wood to that fire to keep it blazing. Even if it means if I run out of wood, Brother Hensley, and I'm looking around and I ain't got no wood to add to the fire, just throw myself in there. And, and, and you got to fuel the fire. And God is a consuming fire. I want God's fire to burn. I want God's fire to burn. Everybody raise your hand and go like this. It's you. I know you from the 14 wing hurricane. Oh, it's you. I knew you when the soldiers wanted to whack me. Oh. It's just you. I knew you when the boat fell apart and I had to float in on a piece of wood. And I know you right now. He didn't have to do it hard. He just flicked his wrist. But notice where he put the viper. Into the fire. So when the devil tries to stop you from the plan that God has for you, and he will flick him off in the name of Jesus and flick him into the fire of the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost take care of it. Let the Holy Ghost take care of it. Let the Holy Ghost. See, God is a consuming fire. That's good for us, and it's bad for the devil. When you throw the devil into the fire of the Holy Ghost, he's the same consuming fire that gives us life. We'll start destroying his kingdom of darkness because darkness cannot prevail where the fire is. Yeah. For time constraint. For time constraint, I'm just going to read a couple more quick verses. And he flucked the snake off in the fire and felt no harm. All them barbarians is watching. <coughs> What's going to happen to this here murderer? Notice verse 5. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Verse 6, I'm sorry. Thank you. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen. When you look at Viper tonight, the first thing it does is cause this massive swelling, which often leads to amputation or falling down dead suddenly. After they had looked a great while, they saw no harm come to him and they changed their minds. We didn't like the preacher headquarters sent us, but he's all right. This guy, and said he was a god. 
Now, Paul dispels this by preaching Jesus because the whole island gets saved and the next island gets saved. The God they're referring to there is Hercules. Hercules was the God that the people of Malta worshipped as the false God that dispelled evil. So they thought that Paul was Hercules manifested in the flesh, dispelling this evil that had come upon him. And so they thought he was a God, but Paul being the man of God that he was, led him to the real God and found out that Jesus is the real dispeller of evil. Jesus is the one. I thought you might like that Hercules part there. That's good stuff. But, 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 but then... Then he goes, there's a man on the island by the name of Publius. Read, read the whole, the rest of the chapter. And just do it for, you know, with, at the church. There's a man on the island named Publius who is a leader of the Roman government who is stationed on that island to oversee it for Rome. His father laid sick of a deadly flux and was dying, and Paul went in and healed him. The next thing you know, everybody in the island has gotten healed. They give him a bunch of stuff, although he didn't ask for the stuff. They gave him the stuff anyway out of gratitude. He goes to the next island. Everybody on that island gets healed also. So by the time he gets to Rome, the other prisoners were sent off to the common prison, but Paul was able to be sent and rent out his own house. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And I'm going to close and look at verse 28 through 31 because I want you to see the end of the story. He shakes off the viper. Because he doesn't die, suddenly they believe in the God he teaches them. He heals the Roman legion that's over the island and the whole island is converted. That Roman legion's converted. He goes to the next island, same kind of thing. So by the time he got to Rome, the, the, his fame preceded him. And be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto you unto the Gentiles and they that will hear it. Now, he was talking to the Jews there and some of the Jews did get saved, but some of them didn't get saved. And so he's talking to them and he said, you know what? You rejected the Lord. Now I'm going to share it with the Gentiles and they're not going to reject the Lord. That's why Rome was declared Christian by Caesar, not many years after this, that's why all of Asia Minor, which was under Roman occupation, heard the word of God in 10 years. Notice the next verse. Look at this. And when he had said these things, these words, the Jews departed, and they had great reasoning amongst themselves. Notice the next voice. Notice the next voice. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and receive all that came to him. Do you know what that word hired house is? When he got to Rome, the officer that Paul had favor with sent all the other prisoners to prison, but he separated Paul and let him go and live in his own hired house. But let me tell you, in order for him to live in a higher house, somebody's paying the rent. I, somebody's paying the rent. Because you, I don't care. You live in a hired house. You Paul or no Paul, you got to pay rent when the rent's due. Was it the Roman? I don't know. 
Was it someone else? I don't know. But somebody paid the rent. But I wonder if while they paid the rent for Paul, I want you to understand the significance of every single thing we do in obedience to God. I wonder if they understood why they were paying rent for Paul to live in his own hired house and write most of the New Testament that all of us have today. For two years, he's writing the New Testament. He's writing the Bible. I wonder if those people knew that they were making it possible for the Bible to be written and taken to the entire world. I wonder if they wondered, understood and even perceived the reward that was waiting for them because of what they did. It caused the Bible to be available to you and I and the oh come on somebody your act of obedience matters. So Somebody raise your hand right now and say, in the name of Jesus, be gone, devil. Flick your, just flick him off. Somebody say, in the name of Jesus, you're not stopping me, devil. Flick him off. In the name of Jesus, this disease is not going to kill me, devil. Flick him off. In the name of Jesus, you're not going to have my children. I flick you off. In the name of Jesus, you're not going to rob me of my mind. You're not going to rob me with depression. In the name of Jesus, I just flick you off. You have no power over me. I just flick you off. You have to just flick you off. <laughs> I swatch you like a common fly. Now somebody, stand to your feet right now. I've come to tell you, as the musicians, singers come, I've come to tell you, you're on a divine appointment with God. You are, this church is on a divine mission for God. You as an, in, this church is on a divine mission for God. Please, I, I beg you, I beg you, please, I beg you, let me pray for you tonight. I'm the least of God's servants, but I'm the servant of the Most High God. And God said tonight, I'm going to heal people from life-threatening diseases. I'm going to restore those that have been robbed. I'm going to set children free. Shackles are going to be broken. I'm going to take that attack of the enemy and I'm going to fling it off their bodies, off their lives, like a fly. I'm going to swat it like a fly. And I'm going to ask you, please let me pray for you. You need a miracle right now. Just throw both your hands near and say, I love you, Jesus. But at the same time, spiritually, devil off. Just fling that devil off. Just just, just fling him off. Paul just flung him like he swat out. Just fling him off casually. You ain't nothing. Just fling him off. <laughs> because he had such confidence. He had such confidence in God by this point. This is where God wants to bring you. Not only is he going to give you a miracle, but how many want to have the kind of confidence in God that Paul had that when you got a deadly snake hanging off your hand, it doesn't even move you. You just fling it off like it's nothing. 
That's confidence, folks. That's boldness. How many want that? God said he's going to impart that into many tonight. If you're hungry, he'll fill you. How many need a miracle? Throw your hands up. Right now, according to your faith, be it unto you. If you want this, just start coming out of your seats right now. With your hands raised to this altar. Hurry, hurry, hurry. God, just start coming right now.